0: Welcome to our online audience. I'm Stephen Feith, lead pastor of Madison Church. Um we've got a big day coming up. You guys know what's coming up on Tuesday? It's a big day. I'm sure you've heard about it. Just, we have we've got an election, right? Yeah. <laughs> Civil war? Yes, that potentially, right? Um we've got an election. I asked people last week. I asked them last week. I said Who is excited about this election? Because the polls showed us that this was like 80% of Americans are like, this is the midterm I'm the most excited about ever. And I asked who was excited. And nobody raised their hand. Nobody jumped out of their chair, which made you all the oddballs. Did anyone change their mind in the last week? Did you get fired up about... If you're watching online, still no movement. Okay. So again, we're the oddballs where it's a, it's, and maybe you're just being shy. Maybe you are really secretly fired up for Tuesday. I would also suspect that there are some of you, maybe you're more willing to admit this. Who is, who's ready for it to be over? <laughs> okay. If you're, you, if you're online, everybody, okay. We're all, we're all excited for Wednesday morning. <laughs> we're just like, we can't wait. And it, and here's the thing it's not that you don't care about the results. Okay. I know that. And if you're watching online, you need to know that. It's not that I'm so excited for once that you don't care who wins. It's not that you don't care about the policies. It's not that you don't care. I I believe, and I know that for many of you, you do care. But you're also tired of all the commercials and all the ads, all the, what do we call mudslinging and all of the attacks and everything. And you're just like, I don't even know who, when I vote for this person, I I don't quite know what they're for, but I certainly know what they're against. And it was kind of an idea last week. We're like, I don't know what we're going to get when we vote for someone, but we know what we hope we don't get when we vote for, for someone. And we're like, well, I don't want that guy, so I guess I'll vote for this one or gal. We're all tired of the postcards, the ads, the commercials. This made me think of a commercial I was playing over the summer. Uh, my son, Oliver, loves watching American Ninja Warrior. I don't like it. But he thinks that these are some of the best athletes in the world. And he's wrong. You're wrong. But uh, he thinks that the, I mean, he's like, man, look at this. I'm like, this is like literally a McDonald's competition. Somebody was at a play place 30 years ago and was like, could you imagine if we put five of these in a row and raced? And someone with money was like, yeah, let's do that. Okay, so that's what this is. That's why Oliver loves it. But during a commercial, one of the ads came on. And I said, you need to vote for so-and-so because so-and-so This is one of those third-party ads, right? Because now politicians don't just put out their own ads. their are entire organizations that'll put on ads for you who aren't necessarily connected. But they said, vote for so-and-so because they will take on the corruption in Madison. And I didn't think anything of it, right? Because I've lived outside of Chicago, Iowa City. I've lived in Missouri. I've lived in Madison now. I've lived in all sorts of places. Every two, four years, these ads come up. It's like whatever city you're living in, you're where the corruption is. And so I was like, I didn't care. I was like, whatever. Like we're watching American Ninja Warrior. I'm not paying attention. But Oliver looks at me. Are we the bad guys? My son who's obsessed with Marvel Comics was having an existential crisis. Wait a second. What? we're the bad guys? and I didn't even know it. And I said, no, 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 no. We're not the bad guys. We're not the bad guys. So is he the bad guy? And then it gets complicated, right? Because in his world, it's very black and white. There's a good guy and there's a bad guy. So he's the bad guy then. And I said, yeah, Son, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. But that's what begins to happen, even to us as adults. We don't verbalize it like Oliver, but we tend to see the other side as the bad guys. We talked about that last week. We said 80%. In their own, like when they were checking the box, and like, what happens if somebody else wins the election on Tuesday? They said, "America, as I know it, will be destroyed." And I know all of you aren't that dramatic. I know some of you are. I know some of, but like for eighty percent, for four out of five of you to say, depending on if my candidate loses, America, it's over. Oh man, we are very, we are not optimistic about what's going to happen on Wednesday. And this happens because again, we, we there's a lot of fear there's a bad guy. And of course the bad guy isn't my guy. The bad guy is your guy, right? I mean, because we're not the bad guy. And we're in the second part of a series called Talking Points. And this is a series on faith and politics, which I know most of you would rather never ever hear in church. Or as somebody pointed out to me last week, they said, I don't want to ever talk about those things anywhere." let alone church. I said, that's fair. I forgot about that. Some people don't like talking about faith and politics. If you're a part of my family, you know, it's like you get there at Thanksgiving and you're just waiting. You're like, how quickly this year is someone going to bring up an issue that we're going to fight about for the next hour? That's what my family does for fun. It's our traditions. Um, They don't want to talk about it anywhere, but we're going to talk about faith and politics at Madison Church. We're going to talk about it because Jesus taught about it. And whatever Jesus taught about, we talk about. That's just what we do at our church. We don't shy away from hard things. These are the talks that they do make us nervous. And I was thinking about why Why does it make us so nervous. Like We talk about faith and politics and we're like, we're nervous. Why? Well, it's because you all have an experience of going to a church or knowing someone who goes to a church. You all have an experience of faith and politics in the church and it's not good. That's why you're nervous. Nobody was looking back and said, you know what my church did in 2020? Nailed it absolutely nailed. You know what they did in 2016? Crushed it. My church has a history of always, no, it's never like that. And that, that includes us. That includes, I look back in hindsight and I say, I made mistakes in 2020. Absolutely. I made mistakes in 2016 as a pastor. I'm trying to make those things right now. And I'm hoping that by doing this now that two, we're, we're doing some kind of the the work here so that in 2024, when it will be more heated than it is right now, Okay. We'll be more heated in two years. I'm hoping that we're doing the work now where we can continue to say and agree with each other that unity is a good thing and that disunity is a bad thing and that love is a good thing and that hate or love is a good thing and that hate is a bad thing. That's what I'm hoping that we can do. I mean, chances are the only time you've ever heard of politics and faith in church, you've heard it like this. <clears throat> you've heard a pastor say, people need to put their faith first and politics second. That's why you should be a Republican. right you've heard something like that. People need to run their politics through a filter of faith, and that's why everyone should be a Democrat. I'm sure you've heard it, or some vernacular, this is why people shouldn't vote, this is why you should vote. Whatever it is that your political view is, you've probably heard some sort of spin on that. But regardless of the spin that you put on it, the spin says that when I put my faith first, clearly my party is right. When I put my faith first, my party is right. And this is what we're trying to avoid at Madison Church, okay? This is what we're trying to avoid altogether. So if you're you're thinking, oh, he's sticking up for my party, not necessarily, not necessarily. But I'm also not trying to get you to bail on your party either. I just want you to realize that everyone in the room thinks Jesus is on their side. The conservatives would say that Jesus is a Republican. The liberals would say Jesus is a Democrat. But here's the truth. The truth is, at the end of the day, no political party perfectly lines up with all of the values of Jesus. Don't throw anything at me. But it's true. Your political party does not align perfectly with all of the values of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, again, don't don't throw something at me, but both political parties represent some of the things that Jesus stood for. Each of them do. And I know you're like... I cannot imagine that my far-right uncle, that my far-left aunt has some of the values of Jesus. They do. They do. I promise that they do. And that's difficult for us to acknowledge because we've been sold. Go back to this idea how we started. We've been sold that the other guy is the bad guy. And if they're a bad guy, how could they possibly reflect the views of Jesus? They're bad. They can't reflect the views of Jesus. I'm good. But again, no matter your party affiliation, and, and I mentioned last week, at Madison Church, you're all over the place. I don't quite know where we're leaning. In the past, we've leaned right. In the past, we've leaned left. I don't know how we're leaning right now because I just we haven't gotten to talk about this very much. But regardless, there are people in the room where you're like, I love Jesus and Jesus is on my side. And then we're kind of saying that, but for those who disagree with me, Jesus isn't on their side. and That's not true. We come together on mission, on vision, some of the stuff that we talked about. Jesus is on our side. We can imagine two religious leaders coming together Um, a millennia ago, two millennia ago, going to Jesus and saying, how should we vote this week? General, you know, midterm election, how should we vote this week, Jesus? We don't know how Jesus would answer. We shouldn't speculate how he would answer, but I can tell you how he would not answer based on ample evidence in the New Testament, which is that he would not say, oh, you should vote right. Oh, you should vote left. Jesus wouldn't answer the question because so often when they came to him and asked him questions, the religious leaders, the educated folks, when they asked him a question like that, Jesus was like, silly boy, silly girl but you're missing the point. So we don't know how Jesus would answer about how we should vote on Tuesday, but we can imagine that Jesus would transcend the conversation. He said, you're just not seeing the bigger picture because so often when we're in the middle of it, like we are right now, we're missing the bigger picture. And when we do that, and we have been doing it, the church in the United States, we've been missing the bigger picture for six, eight, 10, lots of years when it comes to politics and what's happening is it has a ripple effect, a negative one, when it comes to the world that we're trying to reach. I like how author and pastor Tim Keller puts it. It says, when the church as a whole is no longer speaking to the questions that transcend politics, and when it is no longer united by a common faith that transcends politics, then the world sees strong evidence that Nietzsche, Freud, and Marx were right, and that religion is really just a cover for people wanting to get their way in the world. If you don't know those three names, famous atheist philosophers. And what they said about religion, that people of faith are just trying to get political power. And they use their God to defend their beliefs so that you feel guilty. you got to vote for them because you don't want God to be mad at you. Then they get in the power so that they can have the money and influence. And Tim Keller, this pastor, is saying, you know, when we're just engaging in the same conversations that the world around us is engaging in, boy, it sure looks like those atheists were right and that we're just lobbying for more power, more influence, more money. But if we can begin to transcend the conversation, we don't dive into these weeds and these mudslinging and right and left, and they're the bad guy. When we begin to transcend that and rise above it, something different happens. But that comes at the cost. If we're going to put our faith first, then you should expect there to become space between you and your political party. If we put Jesus first, we should begin to find space between us and other people who politically think the same way as us. We should have more in common with other Christians, with Christians on the opposite side of the political spectrum, than we should have in common with those who share the same politics as us, but not the same faith. Okay, let that sink in. I mean, really, we should. We should have more in common with Christians who disagree with us politically than we should have with non-Christians who agree with us politically. We should, with the body of Christ. We have a whole Bible, a whole book, a New Testament, a new covenant, a new Lord, a new Savior that unites us. And we have this opportunity Tuesday, Wednesday, going forward, because I know a lot of you are going to be, some of you are going to be heartbroken next week. You're, your guy lost. Some of you are going to be excited and we just don't know until that happens, but we have an opportunity in the city of Madison to be different. We don't have to have that one response where I'm sad. We don't have to have that one response where I'm happy. We can have a different response. We can show the city what it looks like to disagree politically, love unconditionally, and choose unity. What greater reputation could we have in the city of Madison if the people who didn't go to church, who didn't believe in Jesus, who were post-Christian, who were deconstructing, whatever it is, what if they were skeptical about what we believed? I don't know about that Jesus guy. I don't know if he really rose from the dead. I really don't know if healing prayer matters. They were skeptical about what we believed, but they were envious about how we treated each other. What would that do for the reputation of the church? What would that do for the reputation of our faith of Madison Church? If they were like, yeah, I don't really agree with them on Jesus. But man, there's no doubt that Madison Church loves well. I don't really know about the Christians, but man, and we know that that's not the narrative, right? They don't use, they love well as the adjective to describe us. I'm not trying to burst your bubble. If you don't know what they're saying about us, it's not good, okay? It's not but what if we began to change the narrative? Look, we can't control all of the other churches and all of the things that other people are going to say, but we can't control ourselves and what we're going to do. And last week, we talked about unity and how that was one of the last things that Jesus prayed for before his arrest and death. His hope for you and I is that we would be unconditionally united Even when we disagree politically, because his call to being united wasn't a call that you have to agree on every single issue together. His call to being united wasn't, I hope they all just get along and never fight, never have conflict. His call to unity transcends that. We can fight and disagree politically and still choose unity. We can disagree about where this country should go in the next two years, the next four years, but we still choose unity. And Jesus tells us the fruit of the unity will that be that more people find him and follow him. The opposite of that's true, too. And I think we're seeing a lot of that again in our society. When we choose division or we just let division happen, we point people away from God. Why would they want what we have when we look just like everyone else? Bickering, fighting, unforgiving, ungraceful, unloving. Except for an hour on Sunday when we talk about our loving, gracious, and forgiving Father. Why would they want to be a part of that? They wouldn't. And today, I just want to push us from unity to love. Because if we're going to choose unity, we have to choose love. You might be thinking from last week, I would love to be united, but how do I do that? It's this new commandment. And in the New Testament, it's often referred to as Christ's law. So when you're reading your New Testament, you come up when Paul uses it mostly, but he'll talk about the, the law of Jesus Christ, he's talking about the love God and the love other people as the same. So when we're reading these passages out of 1 Corinthians 9 today, which if you want to follow along, that's where we're going, when we come to pl- a phrase called Christ's law, we're talking about the commandment to love God and to love other people. Paul writes 1 Corinthians. Paul was a Pharisee, which he was just a very educated religious leader. He was brilliant. Paul was also a Roman citizen. So in terms of just having all of the check marks of privilege checked, he had all the privilege. Roman citizen, Jewish, Pharisee, brilliant. He had influence. He had power. Um, and then he finds Jesus and completely upends his life in a good way, in a good way. Not initially a good way. He kind of goes blind. That's a different story for a different day. But It upends his life in a good way. and He writes this church in Corinth a letter. And this church in Corinth has a ton of issues. Basically, if you're reading 1 Corinthians this week or later today, and and anything you read, just assume that the church was doing something wrong in that specific area, which is why Paul is dealing with it. So you read 1 Corinthians, you're like, he's hitting a lot of topics. And the theologians and the scholars would say they were a really screwed up church. Okay, That's probably how I would say it, but they were a messed up church. But we get to the point where Paul kind of not wraps it up because there's still a lot that he deals with, but he gets to this point, which I think is a pinnacle moment in 1 Corinthians 9, 19, when Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Well, this is strong language for a guy has the pedigree, the resume that Paul has. He says, I've become nothing. I've given it all up. My job titles, my academic achievements, my experiences, my citizenship, I've given it all I've essentially become nothing. Why, Paul? To be a good person? He says, no. I've become a slave to all people. I've become nothing to all people so that I might bring people to Christ. Well, that sounds familiar. That sounds like what we talked about last week, right? We choose unity so that people would know the love of God and that they would find and follow Jesus. And Paul's building off that. So we love people and I've become nothing so that many people would come to Christ. But he says, I haven't just become nothing for the sake of becoming nothing. He continues in verse 20. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring uh, Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to that law, I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. He says, Hey, when I was studying out with my Jewish buddies, my other Pharisees didn't eat ham because that was one of their laws. And even though I'm not subject to that law, Paul says I'm not subject to the Torah anymore. That's old covenant. I'm not subject to that. I still lived under it. Why did you do that, Paul? To not offend someone? Was this an agree to disagree moment? That's something we talk about in our society? Says, no, I wanted to bring them to Christ. And so Paul is telling us, major on the major, minor on the minors. He says, strategically pick your battles. And when it came to being with the Jews, I followed their laws. We weren't going to fight about that. My first thing, my first priority was I wanted to win them for Jesus. Then he continues, verse 21. And when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. So then when I'm with the Gentiles and, and they're having their bacon shakes at the Dairy Queen, which were prohibited against Leviticus, he says, I have a bacon shake when I'm with them because I'm not subject to that law anymore. Isn't it not that I disregard God's law, but there's a recognition that there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant with implications of the law, which we unpacked in a 30-part series through Hebrews, all available on Hebrews and uh, or on YouTube. He says, I obey the law of Christ. So why does he become a Gentile? Why does he become a Jew? Why does he become a slave? I want to see people find and follow Jesus. I want them to know that God loves them. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm willing to do anything short of sinning to convince the world that God loves them. And I wonder if that's true of you. I wonder if that's true of me. Am I willing to do anything When I'm with the Democrats, can you imagine Paul? Scandalous. When I'm with the Republicans, I we can't even. I don't even want to say it. I don't even want to say it. So let's just skip that part and just. So I can bring many to Christ, and that's what he's saying. I will do anything short of sinning to bring people to Christ. I want them to know of His love. Paul says we are to help people who are oppressed. We're to help and share burdens with each other, Republican or Democrat, left or right, leaning or far. We are to bear other believers' burdens. In Galatians 6, 1, Paul writes, to a different church, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. This is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens. Why? And so complete Christ's law. We share each other's burdens. It's a complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. So when you see someone who's burdened financially you share that burden with them. When you see someone who's burdened with their kids, with their family, with their marriage, with their work, with a physical ailment, with a mental one, someone who's gotten tripped up in this life, an addiction or something else, when we see that, we share the burden with them. And in doing so, we show them and we fulfill the law of Christ. When the concerns of others move us to action, we fulfill the law of Christ. If you're wondering this week, how can I fulfill the law of Christ? Who are you concerned about, and how can you meet that need? And Paul tells you, frankly, that's it. That's the template. If you were looking for a one, two, three steps, this is it. Who are you concerned about? How can you meet the need? Meet the need. That is how we can do that. That is how we begin to choose unity. That is begin how we begin to show other people love. And when we do this, we're doing what Jesus told the disciples to do. He said, your love for me should move you for action to other people. And as we grow as Christians, our consciences become hardwired into the love of Christ. If it's your first Sunday, if it's your first Sunday following Jesus, you're not sure about Jesus, you're watching online, you're just, you're not sure where where you're going with this. Right now, it might be hard to think that I need to love other people like God does, but the longer you follow Jesus, the more natural that becomes. I need to love other people like Jesus. Not that you ever get perfect at it, but the longer you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And when we come together like this in our church capacity where there's a whole bunch of us, a whole bunch of us, we can come together and show the world the love of Christ. Now, if we're going to show the world the love of Christ, there are going to be some things that should collectively disturb us as well. Things that go against God's law, Jesus' law, that should disturb us collectively. Things like violence, things like greed, things like injustice. Those aren't political issues. That should just bother us because those take away from loving God and loving other people. But like I mentioned last week, how often fear drives us to vote one way or another. And what was Jesus' number one command? If we were going to just write down the thing that the number one command he told people, it wasn't to love each other. That's a really big one though, okay? But it was don't be afraid. And so as a follower of Jesus today, as we look forward to Tuesday or we look forward to Wednesday or whatever it is, and, and our candidates win or our candidates lose, and we might feel afraid, remember Jesus' command to do not be afraid. Oftentimes, I mentioned that the fear was because we're scared to giving something up. Well, don't forget that Jesus called us to give up everything. There's nothing to be scared of of what can happen on Tuesday or Wednesday if we follow Jesus the way that he told us to, which is to give up Everything. We are to put our families ahead of ourselves as followers of Jesus. I'm already giving myself up to my family. We are to put our marriage ahead of ourselves. I'm already giving myself up for my marriage. We are put to put my neighbors ahead of myself, my coworkers ahead of myself. Jesus said something like, The last shall be first in the new kingdom. And that is what we do, that is what we pursue. And so as we come together, we seek this out. We say, I'm willing to be lost. I'm willing to give everything up. I will not be afraid. I will choose unity and I will choose love instead. And so as we go throughout this week and going forward, let's listen to other people, people who don't agree with us. Like, honestly, listen, not to the talking points that you hear on cable news, you know, two hours a night or one hour a night, okay? I know you know what they think. I know you know that. But could you find someone in your life who you honestly disagree with politically and just listen, and listen for understanding, not listen to argue, not but listen to learn? Pay attention to your own ignorance. We all have blind spots. Can we listen to other people and not discount them? And not discount them when they tell us something that doesn't fit our worldview. And remember that we listen and we learn, and ultimately it's to drive us to love people better. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Okay, Maybe that's the only message you needed today. Don't burn a relational bridge over a political view. This goes back to the cross. It goes back to the commandment. We can disagree with each other, but we love, because people are more important than our political views. Remember that once upon a time, there were a handful of Jesus followers and he prayed for unity. He said, if we get divided for any reason, politically or otherwise, the mission of God will stall out. So he prayed for unity. They chose unity. And as a result, they didn't get into the fray of the conversations of politics that were going on around them the way that we do. Because kingdoms come and go. Roman Empire came and went. Empires rise and fall. Political parties come and go. Any wigs in the room? They come and go, but Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and nothing is ever going to stop it, and he did, and we've been invited to do that. Now, your candidates will win or lose based on how the rest of our citizens in Wisconsin vote on Tuesday, but the church will win or lose based on the behavior of every single one of us between now and then and after. So choose wisely. Because Jesus winning is a lot more important than our candidates winning.